Well, if you want to be finding in the back of your hymnals, uh, the Shorter Catechism, I believe it, it's around page 869 is where it starts. We're up to question 7. Or perhaps 6. 7. Question 7 tonight. Thank you for that. So we are at question seven of the Shorter Catechism. And as is our practice, we'll read it uh, together. I'll read the question and we can read the answer together. And then um, our main passage this evening, whether you just want to hear it or kind of have it at the ready, is Ephesians 1.11. And so I'll read that for us as well. But you'll have time after that to find it if you need to. Uh, so question seven. Uh, let's see. People are finding it here. Good. Oh, good. And Yes. Do you need me to say anything about the coloring sheet? Or it's already distributed. So question seven. Uh, join with me in the answer then. Uh, what are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And our key passage then, uh, if you want to hear from Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, uh, sorry, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Uh, and so we come to this uh, great question about the, de- the decrees of God, uh, this question about the sovereignty of God. Uh, you know, you think of uh, decree, it's sort of an interesting word, but you think of a king who gives decrees. And a king in his realm or a queen in her realm is able to decree something and it happens, right? There's a sovereignty, limited as it is, for a, for a king or a sovereign. Uh, but God is ultimately sovereign. So when he decrees something, it happens. Um, and there's so many ways that we could dig into this question. This is uh, right up there, um, you know, as we've been talking about, you know, uh, God and his character, and what does it mean that he's sovereign? And we'll return to these themes many times together in, in the preaching of the word and, and even on these Sunday evenings. So um, I thought it would almost be more helpful. Uh, we will hit on some of those things, but we'll do it by asking that question. If God is sovereign, why do we pray? Because I think if we can answer that, we'll come to a, a good biblical understanding of what it means that he's sovereign and, and what it doesn't mean. And because this is a common question that people have um, and a common critique that people have uh, for those that uh, don't share my own or or, or our convictions regarding God's sovereignty. It's it's like, well, if if God determines all things, then why would you pray? Right. And so we need to be able to uh, answer this. Some people uh, can characterize it this way. Have you ever read a choose your own way story? Has anyone ever done this? So, you you know, you read through the book. And you get to a certain point, and it says, do you go in the door or do you not go in the door? And you turn to that page. And uh, and a well-written choose-your-own-way story, you know, no matter which way you choose, you'll kind of make your way around a good amount of the pages, if that makes sense. A poorly written story will, you know, you'll get to uh, a door, and it'll give you a choice, you know, do you go in or not go in? And you say, I go in the door. And then it says, you tripped and didn't go in the door. Or it says, you know, do you talk to this person and be mean to them or be nice to them? You're like, ooh, it's a book. I'll be mean to them. And then it's like, no, you chose to be nice to them instead. You changed your mind. That wouldn't be a good choose-your-own-way story, right? 
Um, and, and, and sometimes that's how it's sort of characterized when we think of God's sovereignty, uh, that we're sort of just stuck in these loops and uh, we can try as we might, but, um, but life is sort of like a poorly written choose-your-own-way story. But we see that the Bible presents a very different picture. Uh, and let's focus on this idea of prayer. The Bible presents God's people as praying and asking God to change things in this world. Uh, just ponder that for a second. Uh, throughout the Bible, God's people pray and ask God to change things. So our view of God's sovereignty has to, because it's in the Bible, account for that. Um, and so let's, let's dive into this together. We're going to look at two very brief points. Why would we pray if God is sovereign? Number one, we pray because God is sovereign. And number two, we pray because God uses prayer. And so we pray because God is sovereign, or we pray because God is in charge. And so let's briefly ask, uh, who is in charge? Uh, there's different answers given. Who is ultimately in charge, right, of all things? Is it the devil? Because the devil seems to have some power. Uh, he's called the prince of this world. That's a, uh, a title of authority. Um, so is the devil ultimately sovereign? Well, in John 10, 17, and 18, uh, uh, I believe we're, we're actually back in Luke, Luke ten seventeen and 18. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And remember what Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so whatever authority Satan has is, is derivative. Um, or in, um, I think that's where probably John came in. When, when Judas is going to betray Jesus in the Gospel of John, Jesus looks him in the eye and says, what you're going to do do quickly. He gives him permission to go and do what's been in his heart to do sinfully. So the devil isn't in charge ultimately. Uh, what about the world? We think of the world as this powerful force, whether culture or governments or uh, the sinful world around us. Um, but what does Jesus say? I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Or Proverbs 21, 1, if we think of the kings of this world, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So whatever power we see out there, as powerful as it is, powerful enough to kill God's people, so we're not being sort of naive, there's real power out there, it's limited, it's not ultimate. Okay, what about us then, sinful humans? Surely we are then in charge, John thirteen thirty seven, uh, and and that's and that's exactly where Jesus looks Judas in the eye. What you are going to do, do quickly. Uh, Judas chooses. <laughs> he 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 longs to betray the Son of Man, and yet Jesus knows it, and Jesus gives permission for it in His sovereignty. Now we could pause here for a long time because that raises questions for us of God's sovereignty and what does it mean that He allows evil. We'll look at that very briefly as we go along. Uh, but we'll stick to the focus of prayer tonight. So we see in Ephesians 1.11 a different answer. What does Ephesians 1.11 say? But that God is in charge of all things. Focusing on our being chosen by him. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined <clears throat> according to the purpose of him. And here's the key phrase. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Right? Even the greatest kings of our world 
have counselors. Uh, they have a, a team of people that are researching and uh, really a good leader should do this. A, a team of people that are researching the economy and different aspects of life. And, and so a king or a, or a president or a ruler might have much authority, uh, but they do so with many counselors. What do we see in Ephesians 1.11? God is his only counselor. It's a, according to the counsel of his own will. Or in our confession later, it will, it will put it uh, when talking about you know, why did God choose his people? It's according to his mere good pleasure, uh, which I think is a wonderful phrase, um, right? We, uh, 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 we cannot give an answer why he would choose us other than it was his mere good pleasure uh, to do so. He is the one who is ultimately in charge. And so when we think about prayer then, it makes sense that we would, if if we're going to pray to someone, to some being, we, we want to pray to someone who actually has authority to do something, right? So uh, there's a lot of books out there right now that and, uh, that talk about, you know, it, it, God doesn't have to be real. Just the act of praying is sort of what's important. And there's a smidgen of truth. There's something that happens to us when we pray. Uh, we remember God's promises. Uh, we, uh, we get things off of our chest. I mean, th- there's, there's benefit just to praying. But I don't know about you, but if I'm just praying to the wall, um, it, there's maybe a small benefit that I could have gotten from journaling, which, again, that's a good practice. Uh, but it, it, that's not the end, right? We pray because God is sovereign. We pray because he is in charge. And secondly, we pray because God uses prayer, or we could say because God chooses to use prayer. Um, you know, God is sovereign, and here's where we get a little bit to the meat of it, of that critique. Are, are we just in sort of a loop of a, of a never-ending story that we just sort of find ourselves in? No, uh, because God chooses to use means. He, he works through people. Uh, he works through history. He works through governments. He works through righteous acts of his people. He works through unrighteous acts of those who would oppose on the face of it his will. And so uh, let's look briefly at the, the nature of this. In, in chapter 3 of our confession, it sort of fleshes this out a little bit more. In chapter 3, section 1, it says, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. So that's the wonderful statement. God is sovereign over all things. Nothing can or will happen unless God has ordained it to happen, right? Yet so, now the confession is going to give us some biblical fences, some biblical boundaries. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second clauses taken away, but rather established. Now there's some uh, good old-timey language for us here, but let me break it down here. Number one, it, 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 does that metaphor of fences make sense? Just like the Trinity, right? We, the Bible says that the Father is God and the Son is God and the Holy Spirit is God and God is one, right? So the, the Bible gives us the parameters. Uh, he has revealed it to us. So the Bible reveals to us he is sovereign over all things, but in such a way that he is not the author of sin. Uh, Acts 3.15 says, uh, And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Or James 1, 13 and 14. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then 1 John 1, 5, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Uh, So is there mystery here? Yes. Uh, That God would sovereignly ordain and use sinful actions, um, but he is not the author of sin. He is not cooking up sinful schemes. Uh, He never delights in evil, and we'll see in a moment, he also never simply forces a person to do something evil against their will. And that's the second point. God does not force people against their will. Um, I, I love to direct people to this very part of the confession who criticize we who hold to a more Calvinistic Reformed understanding to say, did you know our confession talks about free will? <laughs> um, uh, that God is sovereign in such a way that he doesn't do violence to the will of the creatures. Uh, we are not robots. Uh, Brian's preached on this verse before, Genesis 50, verse 20. Uh, you know, Joseph's brothers come to him after selling him into slavery, and uh, they're afraid for their life. They're like, he's, he's sort of like a king now. He could do whatever he wants to us. And what does Joseph say? Uh, he says, don't be afraid. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And, and, and there's the beautiful mystery. Uh, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Not you meant it for evil, and then God was like, oh, no, <laughs> what do I do? And he swooped in. That would be miraculous enough that God could turn evil things into good things. I mean, I, we can't do that, right? But it's more than that. It, it, brothers, you meant it for evil, but God, before all eternity, meant this for good. And so it, it, it's pretty incredible to think. So the brothers chose, they, they delighted to sell Joseph into slavery, and they were responsible for that, and they needed to repent of that. And yet, it was God who used it. If, if this makes us un- uncomfortable, we need to only go to the ultimate example. What's the ultimate example of God choosing to ordain something evil that is ultimately good? The cross, right? Like we can't go any further than the cross. And if he did that at the cross, then of course he could do that in smaller things in our life, in tribulations in our life. In Acts 4.27, uh, for truly in this city, or yes, yeah, sorry, in, in truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So here's these leaders and peoples gathered against Jesus, doing whatever was in their heart. But what were they actually doing? They were doing whatever God's hand and his plan had predestined to take place. There's mystery here when the suffering is very personal for us. But if we look to the cross, there's great comfort here. That if God is sovereign over the cross in such a way that he is neither the author of sin, he does not force people against their will, but that, number three, he does use means. Um, and means is sort of an interesting word, but let me, uh, Proverbs sixteen thirty three, uh, The lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So even things that we consider sort of luck ultimately are up to God. Or to make it more personal, Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good 
for those who are called according to his purpose. Or kind of the practical side, Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And he'll go on to say, you know, how will you hear unless someone is sent? And how will they be sent unless you send them? Um, in other words, in other areas, we don't say, well, God is sovereign, so we might as well just shut the church down. He's sovereign. He's going to call his people. Um, and so just shut the walls of the church. God's going to do what he's going to do. I'm thankful that I'm in the kingdom. <laughs> uh, no, I, if, if you're in the kingdom, it's because somebody spoke words to you, and those words were from this word, um, and, and that is the chosen means by which God uses. And so it, let's bring this back to prayer. If God is sovereign, why do we pray? We pray because he's sovereign and because he has chosen to use the means of prayer. You know, we see this throughout Scripture as Abraham prays for Sodom and, G- and Gomorrah, and, and there's a change there. We, we see especially those who are in this sort of mediatorial role all the way up to Jesus himself. But maybe, that's, maybe we could stop there. Why should we pray if God is sovereign? What did Jesus do? <laughs> Jesus, who was God, prayed in the Spirit. He would go out early in the morning and pray. Uh, in his final hours, he's telling his disciples, watch and pray with me. He tells Peter, I prayed. Satan wanted you. He wanted to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. And Jesus' prayer for Peter meant that Peter was restored. We could just stop there. <laughs> Why pray? Because Jesus prayed, who was God. Uh, but we pray because God uses prayer. Uh, James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Or Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Or Luke, again, 11.9 that we're familiar with. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Uh, knock, and it will be opened to you. Just a few weeks ago, we, we saw that great section that he's encouraging them, be persistent in your prayer. Keep praying. Uh, so that means, think of the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Why would Jesus give us such a prayer? <laughs> if he didn't think that praying your kingdom come, your will be done, wouldn't bring about his kingdom coming and his will being done. And so we pray because God is sovereign and because he uses it. Uh, This could change how we think about a prayer. Uh, That could mean that even our children, we hear their voices now. I mean, their prayers could literally change the world because they're praying to a sovereign God who hears them. Your prayers could change uh, the world. And of course, we think big picture, but your prayers could change Um, It could be the very means by which God uses to bring about change in somebody's life. Um, It's amazing. Even myself, it's easy to detach sort of the, we think of the act of prayer as as good and it's commanded and and we kind of pray to cover our bases, but God's going to do what God's going to do. And yet God invites us to pray in such a way that is much more active than that. Uh, that he might have even chosen before the foundation of the world uh, that Calvin would pray for something, and he would, God would use Calvin's prayer to, to bring it about. Isn't that incredible to think about? Um, but it, if that sounds weird, I mean, God has chosen before the foundation of the world to uh, use people who stand up and say words about the Bible <laughs> to bring people to repentance. I mean, God uses uh, 
all sorts of things, let alone the things that he has commanded himself. And so let's then be encouraged to, to pray because we have a God who hears us. We have a God who's sovereign and who's able to use our prayers mightily. Uh, let's pray now together. Uh, God, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for this catechism that summarizes it very helpfully for us, uh, that reminds us of your sovereignty. I pray that we would be a people of prayer, uh, that if anything else, we would be known uh, as that church that is full of prayer and full of faith in our God. And so be with us all as we go home this evening, as we uh, go home to rest. Um, uh, I, uh, help us even this week to be constant in prayer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.